0: delight to be here I've enjoyed uh, being with Miss Arlene Compton for the last oh my goodness we're we're on conference calls every month it seems and and then to come here and be with the committee has been a delight and being with the groups yesterday oh, it's been a precious time so thank you for hosting us so kindly um, if we would though Let's take some time and look at the scripture and grow by the word of our God. As we open our our text to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Let me remind you what we're opening up. (laughs) If I could claim the apostle Paul as a a missionary apostle, that that the, the common text for our congregation, this is a missionary letter. A letter written to help young believers grow and be established in the faith and, and think through how to communicate the gospel to their neighbors and extend the kingdom of the Lord um, further and further into the Gentile nations. That's what we're reading. Text of a people who desperately needed um, the gospel again. And so let's let's open our hearts and our minds to the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11-21. through 21. The apostle writes Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's bow our hearts and pray to the Lord our God that we would be conformed to this passage of Scripture. Lord, we ask, etch in our hearts this description of the world. Etch in our hearts, our souls, this role that you've given to us, this privileged calling to represent you and your grace in this world that is so desperate to know you. We ask for strength in this. We ask that You would comfort us in Your presence in this journey. For Christ's name's sake. Amen. In the the center of the universe, there's a party. A party where the Father looks at the grace of the Son and He delights in it. And the Son looks at the love of the Father and He rejoices. And the Spirit sees this beauty, this righteousness, this solid wonderful relationship and pushes the fellowship forward in joy it moves forward all the way to the throne room of the heavens and it extends all the way to here, planet earth on the frontier if you will of the kingdom the gates of heaven where the the, the righteousness of Christ where the grace of his kingdom is seen even among the unbelievers even in the dark realms That have yet to come to know him. In this realm, in this work of the Lord, we have a particular role. We're Christ's ambassadors. We're missionaries, if you will. Representatives of the kingdom. That's what Paul is describing. He knows this very well because he's taken it full bore. And he's calling the church in Corinth to take it on as well. We'll look at just a few things. There's so much in this passage. I I wish I could share more. I'm just bubbling over with excitement to share. But um, we're going to look at just a few things here. First, we're going to look at the motivation of the ambassador. And then we'll look at the gospel lens. We'll look at the lens through which we're called to live and see the world. And then finally, we'll look at this calling that we're to offer on behalf of Christ. And so, if you would, let's look at this missionary motive. Cast your eyes on verses 14 and 15. Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us, for we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so what What's the first step here? This first ingredient of the missionary motive is love. It's the love of Christ that constrains us, that controls us, that compels us, that pushes us forward, that gives us endurance. It's the love of Christ that creates our motivational structure. If you were here for Sunday school, you heard uh, um, Pastor Abhishek Barla describe the Hindu effort for evangelism in India. They're trying to bring the... The Muslims and the Christians back into the fold of Hinduism and how they're doing it. They're following Christian strategies of setting up hospitals and compassionate ministries to orphans. And on the one hand, I'm like, all right, that's good. I'm glad that they're doing, you know, nice and good things. But on the other hand, I'm like, what's your motivation? See, for the Christian, our moral structure, everything depends upon motivation. What is the motivation? See, Let me give this illustration. I I can send a check to the IRS. And before I send that check, I can take that envelope and throw it on the ground and wrinkle it up and stomp on it and do all sorts of things. And once it hits the IRS office for depositing, all they'll say is, great. See, motivation doesn't really matter with the IRS. But for the Lord's economy, motivation is everything. Let the love of Christ compel us and push us forward. Let the love of Christ drive us to spur us on to, the, to our works of service. Well, how do we learn this love? Where have we learned it? Of course, we know the message, right? We've, we know again and again. We remind ourselves uh, with things like a banquet that we're about to partake in, right? The communion table. Or we've heard the gospel again and again. And we know as we go through life, we need grace and we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven by our spouses or, or children have been forgiven by their parents. We've experienced glimpses and tastes of this love. But Paul describes um, one peculiar way where we grow in love. And that's by experiencing the comfort of the Lord. Let me draw your eyes to Second Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 3, 4, and 6. They say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. You see his logic? He's saying that as we go through life and suffering, as we go through setbacks, we actually meet the Lord, the Lord of the harvest. He answers our prayer. He comes alongside and he he makes himself known in his presence. That comforts us. How is it that Paul could sing in the jail of Philippi, chained up? Because the Lord comforted him. How is it that we can go through suffering and and loss? Well, the Lord comforts. Why is it that the Lord in his great commission gave one promise? I will never leave you or forsake you. Words echoing that spoken to Joshua as he was on the verge of entering in the promised land. The promise of his presence is a work of comfort. It strengthens us and pushes us It convinces us of his love. And we're supposed to be taking that comfort left and right and then being able to comfort others with the same love, with the same comfort. Do you see the logic here? It's really different from how the world would look at suffering. But Paul, he says, um, I go through suffering and I'm in it seeing the Lord's comfort. Before, uh, before the Enlightenment, um, the people commonly in the West would look at a tragedy and they would say, what have I done wrong? And their, their mental um, sequence of logic would, would always be going back to guilt. What have I done? What am I, what's wrong? What, how have I betrayed God? You almost see it in chapter 9 of John with the, with the uh, disciples asking, who sinned, this, this man or, or this man's parents? After the Enlightenment, it kind of switched, didn't it? When someone goes through suffering since the Enlightenment, we've been asking more and more um, pointedly, Who are you, God? Why would you let me go through this suffering? How can you be in control? Things are certainly not under your control, otherwise you wouldn't have let this happen. Or you don't love me. And instead, we've switched to an accusation against God. What does Paul do here? He goes through the logic. He remembers his role as an ambassador of Christ. I'm going to go through this suffering. And in the middle of it, I'm going to see the comfort of the Lord, knowing more and more in my suffering, the lordship and comfort, the love of Christ and as i do it the lord is taking me through this so that other people who are in suffering other people who are in darkness i can actually comfort them like i've been comforted do you see what what radical world view this is this is a missionary mindset and yet at the same time it's basic gospel 101 because we know the presence and the love of the living god let me give you a couple of a couple ways to apply this. One is, let me just challenge you, as you go through suffering, look for ways that the Lord comforts you. And it might be in the precious, wise words of a child spoken at the right moment. It might be with someone from the church coming alongside you and reminding you you're not alone. It might be in the Lord answering your prayers and giving relief. Any of those and a a million more ways he would show his comfort to you. It might be in hope or in the, the, the demonstration of what's going to happen at the banquet at the end of time as we take communion here. All of these things coming together prove again and again our God is a God who meets us in our suffering. Another way we can apply this is to simply make more time. We live in an age, in a culture, where everyone, it seems, has a plan for our life, an agenda in which to squeeze more money or more time or whatever it is out of us. We live in a day and an age where the first thing we see in the morning is the blue light of our telephone, and the last thing we see is the blue light of our telephone. Whether we we take comfort in the news, oh my goodness, of any place to go. Or we take comfort in in our, our social media. Our activities for our children. More education for ourselves. What, 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 what? If I can encourage you, slow down. Take your time. Unplug. Make people the most important thing in your life. Wherever you go. Let me give you this encouragement. It comes straight from Christ and his, um, his parables. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Some seed was scattered among the weeds. The weeds grew up quick and choked out the life of that seed. And that kingdom investment didn't come to fruition. Maybe a good application for us would simply be to slow down and see people more clearly. Knowing the fear of the Lord... Knowing the love of Christ, knowing his goodness and mercy, we can go forward confidently sharing the gospel. Another way to love is to take on the love of Christ. What I mean by that is not only experiencing it, but teaching ourselves to love those things that Christ loves. What is it that God loves? What is he concerned about? Well, um... You know, it's no small thing that the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 of Genesis was put right before the covenantal promises and the calling of Abraham in chapter 12. Our Lord God wants to see this world brought together in this covenantal promise of Abraham in Christ to the fullest expression of that. Our God is on a mission to bring people together. His promise is that all the nations of the world would hear the good news. That's his concern. And in hearing that he would have brothers from every family, every nation, every tribe, every language, they'd be brought together. Revelation, have you not seen the triumphal, joyful worship at the end of the age? It's every nation, every people group. That they would know his name, his grace, and be able to praise him. That's the Lord's burden. That's what he's concerned about. And you know why it's a burden for him? Because it takes, in order to make that happen, it's going to take people who know the suffering of the cross, who are so conformed by the cross, that they may be able to say, my life for yours. Let me go through the frustration of being misunderstood. Let me let go of, of a career I could have had or the neighborhood and life I could have had and give my life for another group of people. That's what the gospel going to the end of the nations is going to take. It's going to take someone who's going to uproot their lives, move to another community, another people group, anchor themselves into that group, learn the language, make friends, suffer alongside and be able to communicate the gospel there. I know many people are coming here, but not the unreached people groups. It tends to be the powerful people, the educated people, the well-connected people that are coming to America. Someone really has to get up, and move, and be planted in another community. And in order to do that, your life has to be so conformed to Christ. You have to know His comfort. You have to know His love. You have to know His burden for someone who's very different than you. And that is so hard to do. I tell you how hard it is. In St. Louis, we've had seventy thousand Bosnians for about twenty-five years since the genocide. Uh, Hundreds of wonderful churches that I would so love to be—I love to fellowship and be with them. It's not for the lack of beauty in in their church; it's just that that they don't see the unbelievers. And so these Bosnians have been there seventy thousand for about twenty-five years since the mid-nineties, and only eight have come to know Jesus. Why is that? Because they're not seen. It's, It's easy to run in a parallel universe with your neighbor next door, isn't it? Can't you relate with that? And so what this love is, is it calls us to move forward and to love our neighbors, to reach out. Not only across the street, but across the globe, across cultures. It's a risky love. It's a crazy love. It's a love that's going to call people to do the most um, astonishing things. And when it's seen, it's going to be misunderstood. In verse 12, it's seen as, as pride and arrogance. In verse 13, it's seen as something that's crazy. I myself as a missionary, when I, people heard that I was going to Africa, I'd be asked very commonly, are you taking your children with you? And I'd, I'd tell them, uh, no, I thought I'd leave them with you. <laughs> you see, um, this, this work is not going to be understood in the paradigm of this world. God calls us, though, to reach all people, all nations. It, it's a work of taking on the love of God for others. Another part of this passage calls us to look at the world through the lens of the gospel. Now, that's a, a, a full sentence to say one word, faith. This passage calls us to faith. It calls us to see other people through the lens of the gospel. Let me give you an illustration. I used to work as a chaplain at Friendship Village. Some of you might have heard about it. There are some people in the congregation with family members that were actually there. And it was a, it was a retirement community, a nursing home. Uh, I worked with skilled nursing. And... I saw that there were so many people who were just afraid to go into this community, into this, um, the place where people have, are losing their memories or losing control of their bodies, losing their, their abilities. And that would be just so scary and daunting. Even, I knew even Christians who just could not go there. And then I, uh, I saw other people, and they did a good job. They ministered well. These people who ministered in that situation um, on on one level were able to remember. They were able to see the dignity of the war heroes or remember mom or dad playing with them and and walking them through life and coaching them. Out of that memory of the past, they brought that into the moment in the frailty and were able to impose that reality of, of that good life Into that moment and serve and be there and honor and listen and support and strengthen and tie shoes and and however else they could help feed and put whatever together for them. That's how they would minister. Could it be, though, that there's another way to look at someone? Not just out of the strength of the past. Could it be that gospel faith is also taking that future glory and bringing it into the moment? taking future realities and bringing it here to today so that we see one another not only according to the, the, how we look on the outside and our successes or our education or our role in the hospital or what, 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 what. But in light of that day, we'll be standing before the Lord. Could we do that? What would it look like to honor someone according to that future Glory that future majesty that each of us will bear. Maybe I could challenge you with this one thing. Take a moment right now and let's do this exercise. Look at your neighbor, one who's sitting next to you, and say, good morning, your majesty. Good morning, your majesty. You see, there's a dignity that is so truthful. In fact, those words you said, I know we kind of joke about it because there's a little humor to it. And yet, it might be some of the most truthful words spoken this morning. in a morning full of truthful words. All that's possible because of what Jesus has done. What majesty, what grace. What work and what power that he would take people like you and me, ordinary people, and make us able to stand before his throne. In that last day, we'll be able to stand. What Paul wants us to do is put on this lens through which we see each other in the gospel and and honor and respect one another. There's also a a holy dread for those who don't yet know Christ. Could it create a, a, a burden in you for the lost? I think that's why Paul in chapter 10, the verse just before we read speaks of that day of standing before the Lord, that that judgment really is going to come. There is going to be a last day when the curtains pulled back, heaven will be seen. The angels trumpets will be sounding and it will be the last day. Could that shape how we live, how we speak? How we have a burden for other people, how we would pray for others, how we spend our money, how we give our time, how we organize what's critical and important to be done in this day's tasks? Oh, yes, it can. Let's let the love of Christ control us and push us forward. Let's let this gospel lens shape what we see, who we are. last section I'd like to draw your eyes to is in verses 18 through 20. Not only does the ambassador have the motive of Christ and have the lens of the gospel looking at others, we also see God's work in the world and we embrace this calling. We call those who are apart from Christ be reconciled to God. This ministry that the Lord's given us and the success in this ministry is all from God. Look at verses 18. It says all this is from God. All of this transformation, all of this burden, all of this increased love, all of this proper measuring of our days. All of this is from God. This capacity to love even through our suffering. All of this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. The salvation is from God. It was his plan, his work. He gets the credit. Let me give you an illustration from the Middle East. There's a a woman named Perry. She grew up in Afghanistan in a family where they didn't even know how to read. Missionary uh, team came up and befriended their family. They enjoyed their evenings together around the supper table. They would laugh and tell stories. They would help one another out. They taught the young man how to read. They also gave him a Bible. He was the only one in his family who knew how to read at this stage. And he would read that Bible nonstop, incessantly. The father looked at him and said, Ah, what is this? And then he appreciated it and said to his daughter, You should learn how to read too. And so she learned. And they gave her a Bible also. She read it and loved it for six years. One night, she had a dream. She pictured Jesus laying down as as though he were asleep or dead, and, and then he came back to life. And she pictured in her dream, Jesus saying, come, follow me. And then she woke up startled. What happened is, the words of the scripture that she had been, read, been reading shaped her heart, and she became a Christian. And to this day, she walks with the Lord Jesus. To this day, knowing her brother was murdered by Muslims, walks with Jesus and witnesses and reaches out to Afghani children in St. Louis. See, all this is from Christ. It's His power. Maybe one simple step we can take is to cast ourselves in prayer on the Lord of the harvest. But also know, we're still part of that equation. He's making His plea through you, through your relationships, like in your parenting, in your friends, in your workmates. He's through you. You are called to reach out to other people and speak of Jesus and welcome them. Let me tell you the story of a person who had a great idea. He wanted uh, to use friendship evangelism. And so he'd spend his Saturday and he saw his neighbor had long grass and he would mow the grass for him. And he had a barbecue another day. And he said, ah, come, come on over. Let's have a barbecue. He had extra tickets to the ball game and he... So, come on, let's go to the ball game. After about a year, this unbeliever said, Man, You are a nice person. Are you a Buddhist? <laughs> you see, we have to talk about Jesus. If we don't talk about Jesus, um, the message is lost. And yet, what a privilege it is to speak of his kindness, especially for us who have enjoyed his grace. We have a, mus- a message entrusted to us. Come, know Jesus. We have a message to call people, to, know, uh, to bring people to, ourself, but, to Christ. But this happens through our life. Let me tell you one final story of a missionary. Father Damien. He was a missionary to Hawaii. I grew up in Hawaii for a season. and um, Father Damien, when he was a young man, moved from Belgium to Hawaii. And on the Big Island, he served for some season. But he heard about a leper colony. The colony was about 700 people, and he decided, I'm going I'm to go over and help. So he caught a boat, a cattle boat, with about 50 lepers on that boat as well, who went out to this island. He served day in and day out. Father Damien did things like build schools and help them organize a choir. He built, he got water, safe water to this leper colony, and, and took care of. It. He would bandage. With them. One day, after several years of working with them, he had a cup of hot tea and it spilled and it came on his foot, his bare foot, and it didn't hurt. He realized at that moment he himself had contracted leprosy. Shortly before his death, he wrote these words to his brother <clears throat> I am gently going to my grave. It's the will of God, and I thank him very much for letting me die of the same disease and in the same way as my lepers. I am very satisfied and very happy. What sort of person can have words like these at the end of their life? Who can so identify those who have the greatest needs, who can minister out of the love of Christ and enter into the suffering of another person? It's one whose life is shaped by this gospel of love. It's a person whose life is shaped by this love of Christ. Summary verse I'd like to let ring in your ears the last my last close here for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, thank you for your blessing and your strength. Not only have you called us, not only have you blessed us in and of ourselves, but you've given us the privilege of representing you, of knowing you and your strength in our need. Help us, gird us up for this, strengthen us, answer our prayers. But then also, Lord, I pray that you give us the compassion. Give us the broken hearts for the needs of those around us. Whether it be here in in Rochester or around the world, in India or Cambodia. I pray, Father, cultivate a heart of compassion in us. For Christ's glory. Amen.